Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome into another episode of Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler, from the Draft Network. And with today being Monday, let's get into a little bit of mock draft action. Today, I'm going to take you through a full seven-round Washington Commanders mock draft, where things stand, where I see them going with picks on day one, day two, and day three, with all developments out of the combine, developments out of pro days. But before we get into the actual picks, I want to talk about the potential process that Rivera and Martin Mayhew and Marty Herney will go through when they're going to be in Ashburn inside their war room and turning in their draft card. With just six picks in the draft, Washington's assets and their value and their need for immediate impact at a multitude of positions will be interesting to see where they ultimately fall on draft night, whether they trade back for some more picks to acquire, whether it's trading back from 11, whether it's trading back from number 47 overall, in the second round. They have one pick on day one, one pick on day two, and four on day three. So if you look at it right now, there's a ton of value at the back end of this draft, which Washington will be fortunate enough to kind of have players on the table on both sides of the ball that they will be interested in, in you know, taking off the board and guys that may have potential day one impact, which we'll get to once we get to the background of this mock. When you look at it from a 10,000 foot view, it's not great to have six picks. But on the bright side, in a year following the COVID draft, where many scouts that I've talked to, you know, mentioned to me that guys that were taken in the fifth, sixth, seventh round last year wouldn't have even drafted this year. That's the kind of the look around the league as far as the amount of talent and depth and impact. That guy's on day three that will be taken in this year's draft just, you know, a month from now. So well, let's get right into it. And how the board fell to me at number 11 overall was as we expected, right? Wide receiver one on the board. Whoever Washington would want to get from the wide receiver spot is there for them to grab. Whether it's Jameson Williams, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Traylon Burks, all those options are there on the board for Martin Mayhew to put in the Burgundy Gold. And before we really, really get in depth here, I want you guys to check out the draftnetwork.com and our mock draft simulator, full seven rounds. You can do Washington. You can do whatever team you like. We have reports on all the prospects that will be eligible in this draft class. So with every single wide receiver, top wide receiver in this class on the board here at 11, I would not be surprised if that is the route that Mayhew wants to go early in round one, then they take whoever they want at wide receiver one off the board. However, if they need more picks, if they want more picks, if they want immediate value at other spots and they can look into a day two or an early day three and even grab a potential second wide receiver to pair opposite Terry McLaurin and opposite Curtis Samuel, who they expect to be healthy this year and we expect a lot out of. But right here is a is an easy, easy spot for them to trade back. Now, for me, perfect scenario would be to trade back with a Pittsburgh, trade back with New Orleans, 17 and 20, respectively, in this year's draft. If they want to come up and grab a Kenny Pickett, if Malik Willis is still on the board, 
if they like Matt Corral and the leadership that he offers. But for me and for the purpose of this pod and the purpose of this mock, with the 11th overall selection, Washington Commanders select Chris Olave, wide receiver out of Ohio State. And just a few weeks ago, if you guys seen our video of our mock that we did at the Combine, I took Jameson Williams at this spot for Washington. But after pro days and the developments coming out of Columbus with Ron Rivera, talked a little bit about in our last pod. If you if you missed that, check that out or release that on Thursday, talking about Chris Olave and his relationship that he's developed with Ron Rivera and the Washington staff. But if you look at this roster, you look at what Terry McLaurin and Chase Young have offered to this team as young leaders, two guys from that Buckeyes program, and you look at Chris Olave and what he would immediately offer for that offense as another wide receiver one opposite of Terry McLaurin. Chase Young, Terry McLaurin, and Chris Olave were all teammates in 2018 at Ohio State. And you can watch the guy play on film. You can watch him work out at the combine. You can watch him run routes with his fluidity and his sure hands on pro day. But how is he off the field? What is his work ethic like? Who is the human that is Chris Olave? And when you ask guys like Terry McClure and Chase Young, guys that are you can even look at Terry, who's been a two-time captain in three years in the league, those are the insights that you can't get most of the time, honestly, honestly, from their wide receivers coach or their head coach or their recruiting coordinators, different things like that that you need to know about these prospects if you're going to use a day one asset on a guy. But seeing Ron Rivera in Columbus and Marty Herney, those things matter. His presence matters. Their relationship matters. They met with him at the Combine. You see what type of skill set that he offers. He can win at every single level of the defense and take eyes off of number 17. And that's the main thing. And I think that's what Ron Rivera ideals for this offense. I think Jameson Williams from Alabama should be considered. He is my wide receiver one, but sometimes just because you're you know, a potential top player at your position in the class doesn't mean that you're the top player or from a positional value for a certain team. I think we're seeing that this year's draft at the top with the Jaguars most likely taking Evan Neal, number one overall. And the fact that Kyle Hamilton, safety out of Notre Dame, is my clear best player available in this draft class for what he can do with the safety spot. But I digress, and let's turn back to Chris Olave and what he can offer for this Washington offense. Two immediate impact players in McLaurin and Young from the Ohio State program. You had a guy like Chris Olave from that embarrassment of riches of offense at Ohio State and someone that was their wide receiver one, and he had Garrett Wilson behind him and guys fighting for snaps in Jackson Smith and Jeeba and their their army of five-star receivers behind him, Chris Olave would be an immediate impact wideout for Washington's offense, considering the fact what Scott Turner likes to do and adding in the fact of what Carson Wentz likes to do and stretching the ball down the field. You have Terry McLaurin who can run four threes and Chris Olave lit up the combine with his 40. It's a special duo and Carson Wentz needs more weapons for him to stay healthy and optimize his ability at the quarterback position. So there's a ton of wideout talent that Washington will be able to grab at 11, considering where the teams in front of them will most likely go. Olave, Williams, Drake London, Burks, all those guys will be available at 11. So we believe as of today in late March. But if I'm Washington 
and I'm Ron Rivera, and I want a guy that's going to be able to come in and develop and have his best football three, four, five years down the road, and a guy that's going to, you know, he's competed at the highest level in college, succeeded for multiple seasons, could have come out last year and been a first-round pick, played another year, still a first-round pick, consistent success in that offense, projecting him with Carson Wentz, projecting him opposite Terry McLaurin. Chris Olave is the pick here, 11th overall. So now it's on to round two and number 47th overall pick. And the strategy here without a third round pick after trading for Carson Wentz is immediate impact at the middle of the defense. And after losing John Bostic, who had a successful career in Washington, but he could not cover for his life. I think that was evidently apparent consistently on a week-to-week basis when he was having to come out on passing down. The common theme throughout this draft process is that Washington needs an immediate middle linebacker, a guy to fill that spot. And I'm different from that opinion in the fact that Washington has been consistently on the train of drafting athletes, whether it's on offense or it's on defense. And for me here at 47, I want to grab a linebacker that has some pop in the run game, some pop in coverage, and a guy that's going to become a nucleus defender for a young front seven. And that's Quay Walker, linebacker from Georgia, one of the main cogs of that historic Georgia defense this fall, working beside N'Kobe Dean and behind Jordan Davis and behind Devontae Wyatt and behind Trayvon Walker. But you're projecting him into the Washington front seven who is going to be working in front of Chase Young and Montez Sweat and Deron Payne and John Allen. So why not immediately project that similar success that Walker had at Georgia into Washington? A guy that'll be able to play in space. He's a rangy linebacker, has speed to play sideline to sideline, similarly to Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis. And you add a guy like Walker beside those two young talents in Holcomb, who's been around for a while, who understands the Washington defense, who can kind of pick Walker up to speed. But because of his athleticism and just his overall dog instincts at the second level, that will allow him to immediately have an impact, whether he's potentially taken over snaps for Jamin Davis if Del Rio wants to run two linebacker packages with four guys up front and he wants to bring in five DBs and have that Buffalo nickel roll, whether it's a Derek Forrest or a Kalik Hudson or he wants to insert Benjamin St. Juice as a guy that, that fills that Landon Collins role. But Quay Walker can do everything well and checks a lot of boxes at the linebacker spot, whether you're asking a linebacker to fill gaps in the run game, chase ball carriers down from hash to hash, and then trying to rein out to the sideline to cover running backs or tight ends. And man, does a lot of things well, and he popped on film consistently. And he had to do a lot to stand out on film with that Georgia defense this fall. And Quay Walker is a heck of an athlete, should have a heck of an impact. And again, adding young, high-tier talent to that Washington front seven, You can never go wrong with adding guys from defenses that had multiple years of success at the college level and in the SEC. Quay Walker is a heck of a talent. Sliding him in in Jack Del Rio's defense with Ron Rivera coaching him up as a former linebacker himself, that's a heck of an addition on day two, an immediate impact guy, and a young defense that has a lot of expectations this fall. So here in the second round, Washington goes with Quay Walker, linebacker out of Georgia. So just like that, we're on to day three, but this is where things get fun for Washington, where they need guys at different spots, and there's plenty of value left on the board. 
And after grabbing Chris Olave in the first round, you grab Quay Walker in the second round, both pieces on either side of the ball. Right here, you're looking at going corner. And for me, right now, in the fourth round, after missing out, I'm grabbing anybody in the third round, you need immediate impact. And that's Kobe Bryant, not the basketball player, corner out of Cincinnati. The CB2 opposite of Sauce Gardner at Cincinnati this year and getting a chance to dive into his film and kind of microscoping his ability as a potential CB2 at the next level and in Washington's defense opposite of working, you know, of of William Jackson and hopefully sliding Kendall Fuller into the slot where he's most comfortable. The main question of Kobe this year was, will he be able to succeed when Sauce Gardner, a guy of that talent, is opposite him? And when he went down to the Senior Bowl and Sauce was not there, he's consistently being able to mirror some of the top receivers in college football down in Mobile. Whether he was working in zone and making plays downhill or being able to stay hip to hip in man coverage, doesn't matter if he was playing press man or working three, four yards off the line of scrimmage. And also getting to know Kobe and his alpha mentality that similarly that, that Sauce had in the back end of that Cincinnati defense Washington's defense has a bunch of dogs itself. And I mentioned that in the type of player that Quay Walker is. You consistently add these guys with this alpha mentality at the back end. And it's not just a no-fly zone in the secondary, but guys at every single level that just want to take your will away from you on the defensive side of the ball. That's exactly what Ron Rivera wants and Del Rio want, you know, guys in his defense to have that type of want, that hunger, that, that drive for success. And Kobe Bryant has that. And a kid that was named after the late Lakers star is a guy from a football perspective that has a heck of amount of talent and projecting at the NFL level as a CB2 or a CB3 in this Washington defense competing with Benjamin St. Just for snaps is someone that will compete his tail off. Whether his immediate impact is in sub-packages on passing downs coming in as that CB4 or working on special teams immediately. But you're grabbing a guy here on in round four, and as I talked about earlier in the pod, about grabbing guys on every single day with day one impact, is a guy that you'd feel comfortable slotting opposite William Jackson right away and covering people's wide receiver two or wide receiver three in their offense. And you look around the NFC East, putting Kobe Bryant on Quez Watkins in Philadelphia, you'd feel comfortable with doing that. You put him on Sterling Shepard or Darius Slayton in New York, you'd feel comfortable doing that. Or Kadarius Toney. Now, New York wants to put him in the slot, then you have a veteran in Kendall Fuller on him. So, Kobe Bryant is one of the most unheralded talents in this class, considering the fact that people get often caught up with scouting decals and not talent. And when you're working opposite of Sauce Gardner, he's garnering all the spotlight, your skill set's going to fall behind the curtains just a little bit. And if you're on Rivera and he's grabbed these guys at the back end of the draft in the last couple of years, and he drafted Derek Forrest out of Cincinnati last year, who's a safety, drafted Khalid Hudson out of the back end of that Michigan defense, who kind of had that linebacker safety role that Dax Hill has played for the Wolverine defense this fall. Young, athletic, alpha mentality guys at the back end of the defense are, are few and far between. And a guy that's shown the success on film, went down to Mobile and succeeded, went to the Combine and had a nice day testing, is a guy that's consistently improving and a guy in a defense where it's loaded 
from a talent perspective, should be able to come in and shorten that grace period for him to not only find the field on defense and have some, you know, a day one impact, whether he's just working on 35, 40% of snaps on passing downs, or he's also having a role on special teams as a gunner and making his way downfield and getting tackles. There's a guy that is willing to do it all and do it well. So here in round four, Washington takes corner Kobe Bryant out of Cincinnati. So after sitting on their hands in round three and then without having a pick in round five, Washington is back on the board here with a sixth round pick before they have two seventh round picks. And this is a spot where coming into this offseason, it wasn't much of a need for this roster. But with Tim Settle now gone and Matt Ioannidis now gone, your two starting spots within the interior are Daron Payne and John Allen. Behind them, you have guys with an international pathway program and David Bada. And Tyler Clark, who spent some time in the practice squad for the Kansas City Chiefs last year. And that's not Ioannidis, and that's not Settle. And, you know, we clamored for more snaps from both guys, whether it's Settle or Ioannidis. And with both of them now gone, Washington needs pop and plenty of it within the interior. And here in the sixth round, I'm going to go with a guy that I talked about a few pods ago and some names to watch late within the interior And that's Thomas Booker, interior defensive lineman out of Stanford, and a guy that has been able to slide up and down the defensive line for the Cardinal throughout his career under David Shaw at Stanford. And he was at the East-West Shrine Bowl, and being able to get some some eyes on him and seeing what he was able to do at a multitude of positions along the defensive line and having that positional versatility, that alignment versatility, to where he's not scheme-specific. He's not coming in as a potential D-end in a 3-4, or looked upon as a potential D-end with some interior pop as a D-tackle within a 4-3. He's really able to do it all and checks a lot of boxes both from a size threshold, testing thresholds, and then you turn on the film and you're like, this guy's got some juice. And grabbing someone like that late here on day three who can work behind Payne and Allen and have that rotational role to start his career, and you look to the outside and the rotational roles that the guys have behind Young and Sweat and Daniel Wise and James Smith-Williams and William Bradley King, Shaka Tony, the names go on and on. You need some depth and some guys to be able to rotate in on the interior. And I know John Allen, Deron Payne holster a lot of the work on the interior. There's a reason why Tim Settle didn't get that many snaps and Matt Ioannidis as well. But Thomas Booker coming in as a rookie, whether he's pushing the pocket on passing downs or just clogging up some running lanes on early downs. And even if Del Rio wants to run in some bare front looks with Green Bay, which what they do with three interior down linemen and two outside linebackers standing on the outside, you plug in Thomas Booker opposite of John Allen. You put John Allen in the middle. You have him anchored by Payne to his right and Booker to his left. You got Chase Young on the outside, Montez West standing up on the other side. That's a heck of a front five look right there. So there's a lot of different things you can do with a guy like Booker who's not too heavy to slide to the outside, not too light to kick inside, and anchor against bigger guards coming through holes and taking on double teams and ability to stack and shed guys and, and wrangle down ball carriers. You need guys in the sixth round to do a lot of different things, not just static offensive or defensive players. So here in the sixth round, I'm going to go with a guy that I'm very high on and should have immediate value. And that's going to be Thomas Booker, interior defensive lineman from Stanford. So before we get into Washington's final two selections of this draft process, just a quick recap. With the 11th overall selection in the first round, 
had Washington taking wide receiver Chris Olave from Ohio State. Second round, linebacker Quay Walker from Georgia. Fourth round, corner Kobe Bryant from Cincinnati. And sixth round, Thomas Booker, interior defensive lineman from Stanford. So usually how things go, the back end of the draft in round seven, usually teams look at their boards. A lot of names are off it. Some names are still on there for athletic reasons. There's a lot of guys with the red flags, whether it's medical, whether it's off the field issues. But teams usually go with the BPA approach, and that's best player available. But how we look at the board here and the fact that Washington lost Brandon Sheriff and they need some interior depth. They drafted Keith Ishmael, which has not worked out for the team. They drafted Sadiq Charles as a tackle just a few years ago to a guy that they thought was going to be able to replace Trent Williams at left tackle. He's got slow feet. He's got heavy feet. He's tried to slide him inside the guard. But they need some fresh legs at the position. They re-signed Tyler Larson, and Ishmael's still there. And Chase Roulier will be back this year. But a guy like Ben Brown, interior offensive lineman from Ole Miss, has that SEC experience. And the big thing with Brown is that he has an ability to play all three interior spots. Left guard, center, right guard. There's not an... Won't have any issues with him coming in and working under John Matsko, one of the best defensive line coaches in the league. A guy that'll be able to come in and serve as a depth guy at every single position. By no means do you want him to come in and try to challenge Andrew Norwell or Wes Schweitzer or Rulier for a starting spot. It's not going to happen. But he's a depth guy. And if you had one of those guys go down, knock on wood, to injury, and Washington's faced their you know slew of injuries over the last couple of years and bitten by the injury bug along the front five, a guy like Ben Brown would be able to come in and be able to move guys vertical in the run game and be able to anchor in, in his pass sets and has, again, that SEC experience of competing against the Alabamas, the Georgias, the Floridas of the world and those top-tier interior defensive linemen and those, you know, those linebackers coming through gaps and be able to slide your feet and pick up blitzers. So it does a lot of different things well in the interior. And you win from the trenches and consistently adding depth considering the fact and the amount of injuries that Washington has faced along the interior of the last few years, adding a guy like Ben Brown here in the seventh round could be a potential BPA situation, but also adding a guy at depth to where if someone were to go down to injury and end up on the shelf, you could plug in him right away and hopefully not miss a step. So now we're on to pick 239, Washington's last pick in the draft. In the last two years, we've seen Washington select edge rushers at this spot. James Smith-Williams, William Bradley King, Shaka Tony. I'm going to stay on that same path. And you can never have enough guys that can get after the quarterback, especially considering the fact of how pass-happy the NFL is and will be to come even more so in the next few years. So I'm going to take Amari Barno. Very, very interesting prospect out of, you know, hometown kid out of Blacksburg for Virginia Tech. A guy that if you didn't watch any film of any player in college football this year and you just took guys off of their combine performance, Amari Barno may be the first overall pick. Uh, maybe maybe Tariq Woolen from UTSA may, may have a small leg up on him from testing numbers. But... A guy that is 6'4", 246 pounds, jumped 37 inches in the vert, ran 4'36 in the 40. Let me say that again for the people in the back. 
43640 at 246 pounds and a 37 inch vert. He's got 34 inch arms. So just think of, you've seen Jurassic Park, just think of those big pterodactyl looking things with the ability to run 436. He's a project. There's a reason why he's on the board here available in the seventh round. He's 100% a prospect. But when you have those fundamental tools as an athlete, athletes get drafted in the NFL. We've seen that so many times before. And if you're working with guys like Chase Young and Montez Sweat, and you got guys in the interior and John Allen and Deron Payne, and you got other athletes around you and Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis and Cam Curl and the athletes aforementioned in the secondary, you're going to be able to bring the best out of your ability immediately. And working with Jack Del Rio, potentially as a designated DPR in that defense and coming in as a guy that's competing with the Smith Williams and the Bradley Kings and Chaka Tonys for snaps, it's a not for long league. I think we realize that. And a guy that's just a few hours south from Washington's facility out in Ashburn, you can bet that they've had a multitude of scouts at Virginia Tech over the last few years, whether it was last year looking at Caleb Fairley, the corner, or is this year looking at Jermaine Waller, the corner, Brock Hoffman, the interior offensive lineman, or Amari Barno, guy on the edge that has a ton of tools and a super, super high ceiling. Now, granted, you're here in the seventh round. He doesn't work out. That's fine. You can take a flyer on a guy like that. But if he does work out and a guy that develops into, like I said, that DPR, that designated pass rusher that can come in and play on 25% of defensive snaps in his rookie year and get you four or five sacks, and potentially progress into guys that you can consistently keep Chase Young fresh and Montez Sweat fresh. That rotation of that amount of speed on the outside and the ability to consistently push the pocket, whether he's winning from the outside, winning the inside, and then you have the athletic ability if you're not able to push the pocket to chase down ball carriers or potentially play in space. So someone like that here available in the seventh round is hard to pass up considering those athletic tools. So I'm gonna go with Amari Barno, an edge defender out of Virginia Tech here with Washington's final selection. So a quick full recap. First round, Chris Olave, wide receiver, Ohio State. Second round, Quay Walker, linebacker out of Georgia. Washington does not have a third round pick as of this moment. So in the fourth round, took corner Kobe Bryant out of Cincinnati. They do not have a fifth round pick. So in the sixth round, interior defensive lineman, Thomas Booker from Stanford. First pick in the seventh round, Ben Brown, interior offensive lineman from Ole Miss. And then to round out the class, Amari Barno, edge defender out of Virginia Tech. So the main focus was to get immediate impact guys as much as possible on every single day, considering the fact that Washington only has six selections, one of the teams with the fewest amount of picks in this year's class. You start off with grabbing Chris Olave, you add interior offensive line depth in Ben Brown late in the draft, you add a guy like Thomas Booker on the defensive side, try to replace the vacancies of Tim Settle and Matt Ioannidis. You add in a secondary level defender in Kobe Bryant that you could slot in as high as a CB2 or come in as an immediate special teams guy and work in on sub package downs and passing downs, a guy that can play nickel, a guy that can slide to the outside. He's got a big frame at 6'2". You add a guy like Quay Walker at the second level of the defense that can run sideline to sideline. He can cover running backs. He can cover tight ends. You put him in that front seven. That gives you immediate pop. And then to round out the class, you grab one of the toolsiest defenders in this entire class in Amari Barno. So things will change. Things will develop. We'll hear different things coming you know, through the draft. As I begin to hear things from people inside that facility, as things become 
kind of nailed down in this next month. A lot is going to change. This may be completely washed. Washington may not even select one of these guys in their selection process. But right now where I stand, those are the guys that I feel Washington should have a keen eye on, should be microscoping on their draft board as guys. If they're on the board, Martin Mayhew, Ron Rivera should be sprinting their draft card up to the podium. So thank you guys as always for tuning in to Commanding the Huddle. It's going to do it for this episode. As always, please leave a like, review, share, subscribe. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your news, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. You can find me on social media, on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler. Again, thank you guys as always for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.